Here we go. I'm introducing our guest speaker today, and it is Bruce Crow and his amazing family of eight children, four of which are here right now, and the rest are in Ukraine right now, but they're also spending a lot of time as a family in Minsk and Mir and so on. Most of you know, some of you don't, that my brother Dave, when the wall fell, went to the Soviet Union, and he started a ministry in Belarus that ended up going to the whole of the Soviet Union and ended up changing the church in the whole of the Soviet Union. They went from a kind of worship that was in minor keys and dour because this life was not for joy. And they went to songs of joy in the Lord, of the kind of songs that we sang this morning to worship and praise and thank him for the beautiful, incredible things he does. Doesn't mean it's all easy. But he changed the face of, of the entire Soviet Union through worship. Now Dave did not go for worship. He went to do whatever God would do and God just brought him amazing musicians and so on and he did that. Now. Two years ago, Dave passes away. And there is this ministry that's going on over there that has all of these arms and all these things going on, and now it's on us. And we get together down in Dallas, Texas, and we say, what are we supposed to do, Lord? And we fasted and we prayed and, and we sought the Lord, and what he said was, is I want you to do three things, or one thing, but three aspects of it. The first thing is I want you to plant churches. I want you to make what Mir is about, planting churches. And we said, that's great, except it's illegal to do there. And so the next thing that he said was, is he said, I want you to do it through coffee shops. This is not something that we had thought of before. This is not something that was in the works with Dave. It was a new idea that came out of our prayer time, and God made it clear that we were supposed to open coffee shops, and that coffee shops would be places where, number three, young people would come, and then to have worship there. So the young people would get swept up and become passionate about the Lord through worship, and then... You could disciple them and train them and bring them, into, bring them into a relationship with Christ. So that's what he told us to do down in Dallas, Texas. That was about six months after David passed. About nine months now passes again, and we're trying to execute this plan. And I called up Jan on the phone, and I said, Jan, we have a huge problem. And the problem is there's nobody like Dave there. There's nobody there to execute this thing. There's really talented people, and they're doing really talented things, but there needs to be somebody on the ground because things are changing every day, and there needs to be somebody who attacks this thing like a force of nature like Dave is and was, right? A hurricane coming at it to blow down whatever opposition there was and get done God's will. And so I said, unless we find somebody in three months, I'm gonna recommend that we close the ministry down and sell the building and find a good ministry to give the money to. And Jan said, I agree with you. It's just not happening. So I, what I say is, is we were about a minus 10 in terms of how fast we were going. We didn't even do hardly a search. I made a couple of calls to a couple of people and all of a sudden this name came to me about this guy named Bruce Crow. Never heard of him, didn't know anything about him. Started looking into him, seeing if maybe it was the Lord. I find out that this is a guy who has taken, as Dave Brunk did with his family, his entire family over to Ukraine, which is pretty much a kissing cousin to Belarus. One's under a dictator and one's not, and that's about the big difference. But the bottom line is he goes over to Ukraine and he has discovered that the way to build the kingdom of God is to open coffee shops and to have worship in the coffee shops. They go after the young people because the young people are on fire. He's in Ukraine. When he was 18 years old, he took a missions trip from CF&I, 
CFNI, that's Christ for the Nations International. He took a missions trip over to Minsk, Russia, and met this guy Dave Brunk and his wild and woolly family that was there. Met him at 18, when he was 18. Met the kids, everything. Now he's in Ukraine, fulfilling the call that God gave him when he was there. And now he's getting a heart for Minsk. This is before we've talked to him. He's starting to go to Minsk, and he's finding out that the young people in Minsk, as a layer of God responding to what David done honoring it, the young people are on fire for God, and are starting to do all kinds of worship. And so there's all kinds of worship breaking out and going and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And there's a, the, the few people that are still involved in the ministry and so on. And he's actually found his way. We didn't know this when we got the connection. But he actually found his way to where he's already talking with Peter, the number one guy over there. And they're already getting together and doing worship things because Peter's a brilliant worship leader. So we're talking to him on the phone and saying, well, maybe God might be in this. <laughs> you think? It's literally a month after we had had that conversation about what we were going to do. And then, and here's the part I really want you to hear. We just started saying to him, you know, we've got this ministry. We don't know what to do, but we're going to give you everything that we can possibly give you, including donor lists, including the building, including everything. We're going to do everything we can to resource you if you're the right guy. Are you? And he prayed about it and everything else. And then he started doing this thing. And unless you knew Dave, Dave's hair was always out of control, which was very reflective of Dave. And I, sometimes I say Einstein because it's the picture, but the truth is Dave's hair was because the wind had blown him in and it was soon to blow him out. <laughs> and Dave was a force of nature. He was a hurricane that was making things happen and that's what we were missing. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in and he starts writing these late night one, two o'clock in the morning after a worship service, telling these beautiful stories about people are finding the Lord and the way that the young people are on fire and what's happening in this ministry. And then there's all of this. I mean, these emails are long. You think mine are long? These are long. And he starts talking about how we need to talk to this government official and we need to get connected with this thing and we need to try this over here and we need to do this over here. And, we need, and I'm sitting here reading these emails with tears almost every time I read one because this is Dave Brunk. This is what Dave Brunk was. Just energy. Just moving for God. Whatever it took. Whatever, whatever came up, that's fine. Find another way around it and get it done. And here's a guy who's doing exactly that. And I have come to believe with all my heart that as David, as God loved King David and said, I'll establish your kingdom forever because I want to honor you, that God loved Abram. And he said, I'm going to establish that work because I love you. And then miraculously, he brought us a man who is not Dave. And I don't want to saddle with him. This is the last time, not the last time probably, but this is the last time I'll introduce him like this. Because from here on out, it's his ministry. God through him and what he's doing. And we are overjoyed. Everybody on the board, everybody in the ministry is over the moon that God brought in such an incredible fit to do a genuinely new thing. So with that lengthy introduction, and I apologize to you, but I want you to just give a big welcome to Bruce Crow. It's, it's so cool to be here. 
Um, I love seeing all the, the different ages. Uh, where we are, my wife and I, we're, we are dealing with probably 15 to 20-year-olds every day. Um, and so as I share with you, if I, I don't mean to talk down to you, and I may do some crazy things just to keep your attention, um, because the generation we deal with has about a three-minute attention span. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it is so cool to worship with you this morning uh, in English. Yeah, yeah. I think some of that was English. It was great. Um, my beautiful wife, Deborah, if you could stand up. She's the hero of the family. Um, yeah. Thank you, and, uh, and so, yeah, we've got our kids, our four oldest, Broderick Bronwyn, you'll hear from Bronwyn here in a, a little bit, Broderick, Tucker, Brent. Our four youngest are actually in Canada, not Ukraine. Um, we dumped them off, said we'll be right back, gave them a bunch of cereal, <laughs> and, and so we, we hope they're still there. My parents, uh, I, I'm born and raised in Canada, uh, just outside Toronto, grew up on a farm. Any farmers here? Yeah, cool. This, we, have not, we have not been out to the uh, West Coast hardly at all. This is like the second time. Uh, the first time was a few months ago when we just we came here to Lake Sam. We worshiped with you then, and we're just praying and working through, like, what, what's God doing? Is he orchestrating? Is there some, something that he wants to do here? And uh, so obviously he has been working because I'm here speaking with you and, and so excited to share um, the Word of God with you, because ultimately that everything from worship through what was shared, um, the three folks that shared here this morning, um, listen, he, he's here to speak to us. Uh, we're not here to talk about just Ukraine or uh, Belarus uh, mission stuff. Some of that's just so far out of where you are um, in the struggles and the things that you're dealing with, and so this is the God that we serve. He he knows where we are. He wants to meet us and speak to us, and he'll use anybody. This morning, he gets to use me and, uh, to share and to encourage us, and that's the beauty of the gospel, right? Um, I'm going to just show a quick one-minute video, give you a taste of our world, the Lighthouse Cafe in Ukraine, and what we deal with on a daily basis. If you have it ready, turn it up. There you go. So there's a taste of Lighthouse Cafe. We, uh, we're in a small town called Rzyshev. We're going to say that together. Rzyshev. Wow. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, the Russian language is so cool. There's like no vowels. It's just, <laughs> you got it. Um, and it's about an, uh, an hour south of Kiev. Anybody ever been to Ukraine here? Wow, cool. So um, an hour south, we've been there for 10, going on 10 years. Uh, we brought our kids over. We've had a few kids there. Um, and when people ask, yes, they're all ours. Um, and then they ask, is your wife Ukrainian? And I say, no. And their faces are like, what are you doing here? And we look back and we say, we don't know. We don't know why we're here, just God. And so he brought us to a small town of about 8,000 people. Uh, we felt God wanted us out into the country. Uh, city life, not for us, big family, but just feeling like that's where God would lead us. And so in this small Ukrainian village of Rzhishiv, um, we served for several years in a church plant uh, with some other missionaries, and we began to just feel like God was asking us to think in a different paradigm. Uh, and it was difficult. How many of you have ever had God ask you to do something, and it's kind of like Noah, you know, build a boat, and Noah's like, what's a boat? <laughs> you know, like, what, what is this thing? God gives us kind of pictures or speaks to our heart. And for us, it was, and for me, was like if I parachuted out of an airplane, and I landed in this community, how could I reach them for Christ? How could I do it? How would we do it? Uh, how should the church do it? And so we began to ask these questions, and one of the answers to that was to just get smack dab in the middle of this community and become an asset. In the former Soviet Union, if you're not Orthodox, you're sect. You're with JWs and Mormons, and you're just lumped together as those that don't have the truth. So we were playing to that as Christians, huddling together, doing our Bible studies up on a hill. You know, we were feeding that and, and not becoming, normalizing Christianity, making it normal to love your wife and have a family that is caring and giving and people that are honest. You know, all of these character traits that in, in a Christian culture we take for granted. You really do. And so we, uh, we started praying for property in the center of the town. And God, uh, he, he, I have a business background, so prior to moving there, I started a company. And we, a long journey, it was always Russia, Russian-speaking world. But through God's grace, um, I very unwillingly started a company. Uh, and, and yet God used that to help fuel and fund, so we were able to buy some property in the center of town. And, and God actually, I wanna tell you just this little story of the lighthouse. The, it's right across from the Aftostancia, which is our bus station, and almost everybody takes public transport. Very few people can afford a little Lada, you know, a little Russian car or a vehicle at all. And so we're, it's directly across. We have the, the prime spot in our town. We have three Four. We have four technical colleges in our town. So if you can picture a small little town of 7,000 people and around 1,500 are college students. These college students are 15 to about 18, 19 years old, younger than American typical college students, right? These are like juniors and 11th, 12th grade high school students that leave their villages where a lot of it's just no running water, it is like primitive conditions. And they'll come to the big city of Rzhishiv 
Uh, and when they come there, you know, over a thousand of these students in our small little town, there was nothing but just bars. Dingy, uh, you know, you can, there's no restaurants. There's one place you can get food sometimes. Uh, but you would go in in the mornings into these places and you'd see two young people sitting with a bottle of vodka on the table before there's the breakfast. Alcoholism is just destroyed the fabric of the family, destroyed the culture. Uh, and so we began to think, what if we started a coffee shop? What if we had a pizza coffee shop? You know, and my wife's like, yes, please, anything. Because <laughs> we have nowhere to eat. And so we, you know, we started, we, we, it wasn't selfish because I don't even like pizza, but it was like, uh, okay. So we started to pray and it was a process. Oh my goodness, a process to start a business. The middle class, it doesn't exist. There's just all these controls in place. And so we have paperwork, two years. It took us just to, the gas was already there. The pizza oven sat there for two years. Everything sat there. And all they had to do was this. And we could not get them to do it. We, we spent, we paid uh, no bribes. We refused to, but we paid all the legal fees. I went through two or three secretary administrative helpers uh, that just went at least once a week, sometimes three, four times a week. My kids and my wife can attest to this two-year process just to get them to do this. And, and talk about testing your faith. Talk about wanting to just give up. It was like they treated us like we were privileged to live there. We were privileged to just throw our money at this system and nothing ever happened. But uh, it became famous. We were in the Kiev Post, um, this crazy American family that was trying to run a coffee shop in the middle of a broken system. But then something really cool happened. Uh, there was a revolution. Uh, many of you saw it. I say cool. I use that carefully. Cool in the sense of this next generation has taken hold of this country. And they're throwing off the history that they've inherited. And so we got our stamp. We fired up the pizza oven and the coffee machine. And uh, everybody said it never, never, will never work. Ukrainians, even Christians, uh, we're looking and saying, you don't sell alcohol, it'll be closed in, you know, two, three months. You won't have any, anybody come. This concept of coffee culture, here we are. <laughs> the, my kids, they went to the first Starbucks downtown, took pictures like they're famous. And, and so this whole concept of coffee community, we knew this is what was needed for this next generation. It's international. People are lonely. They need a place to meet clean place. We've got young girls in our town that are just hunted, you know, by the wolves from all over the town and, and other towns come. There's no place for young moms to come with their kids. It doesn't exist. And so we were stepping out in faith to start this. And uh, now, we, you know, we have about 300 uh, customers a week. Uh, grandpas, grandmas eating banana splits. They don't know what a banana split is, but they love it. Uh, we... <laughs> We introduced them to brownies, uh, all kinds of terrible things. <laughs> we will have to answer to Jesus eventually, <laughs> but we're trying to give some more healthy things, but it's hard. But we, uh, yeah, so we, our coffee place was the first place for most people in our town to add milk to their coffee, because they just have the, again, of espresso slash, I don't know what it is, but you can put a 
a stick in it and it just stays up, you know. And, uh, and so we introduced him to lattes and, and, and it's been so amazing to see, uh, guys, the gospel's so simple. You love people. You create a place, an atmosphere of love and you care. Customer service didn't exist before we came into town. And that's not to brag. It's just was not part. You go into a store and the old lady would just yell at you because she was having a bad day. And you're like, I just want a paintbrush. You know, and it's like, you know, and, and, and slowly creating an atmosphere of, of love and trust and integrity. Um, guys, we, we have so much to offer. I think we forget that. And so uh, now we have amazing staff. Uh, God is on the first floor. We have the cafe that operates. And on the second floor, we have uh, our youth ministry, which is really, we, we have a studio. We have guitar. God's blessed us with guitars, teams that come in. We have staff that teach guitar, drums, singing. Or not, well, they are singing. They, uh, and so it's just been this orchestra of, you know, God just come. You know, I think you had mentioned Becca. Was it you, Becca, that talked about, you know, just not being afraid of God's abundance or how he wants to move? And about two years ago, we just started saying yes. Like, God, come and do this. This is so huge to reach into a community, let alone a culture or a nation or nations. It has to be Jesus, and it has to be fueled by something bigger than ourselves. And so we began to see that, and now some of our students that have no, none of our youth have had any Christian background, any church background. They don't know, we, we joke, some of them now, they have a Bible, and other Christians will come and say, what kind of Bible do you have? And uh, the one girl answered, brown. <laughs> I have the brown Bible, and it's so sweet. <laughs> and they're reading the, God's Word, and more importantly, have a relationship with Him that's so precious, and now we're looking to train and to to help disciple them. That's our call. It's not to meet, it's to make disciples. That's what we're doing here this morning. You know, we're discipling one another through the word. And that's where I need to get to. I want you to please, I want to deposit something. You guys forgot to start the timer, so I'm, I guess I'm good. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody's in trouble. It's like Ukraine. It's all good. It just keeps going. But I wanted to tell you, you know, in our town, which is so rare, pizza cafe, no alcohol, and now we have two others. Our small little town, the local uh, uh, club owner visits. I've shared the gospel so many times with this guy, and he came uh, a couple months ago, and he said, Bruce, I need your advice. He has the nastiest club in town, and they just do the things that aren't good. And so he came to me, and he's agnostic, but working through things, real smart guy. And he said, Bruce, I need your advice. I need to know whether I need to close. And uh, I'm like, you, you know my advice. You know, you're destroying your own people. You know, like, of course. But, but loving him and wanting... <laughs> <laughs> But, like, for me, guys, when, when the gospel comes, when the kingdom of God comes into a situation, it changes the, the fabric of a culture. And we're seeing it on a micro scale. It's very micro. It's just our family and friends and 
uh, and churches that are partnering and bringing teams and just fueling uh, what God's doing in this little incubated town. But, but we realize God's given us a resource, all these students that we could receive, bring them, disciple them to Jesus, right? Disciple them, bring them to a place where we could even send them to Minsk, send them to a mission school that we can then take what God determined, decided to be destruction and turn it and bring it into an, a beautiful life and to send it out even to their own people. Like, I, I see it, and I want to talk to you about faith. How many here have faith, and what does it look like in your life? Like, we're all here, so we all have a measure of faith, but I want to take us to a story in the Word that just a few weeks ago God spoke to me, because we read the Gospels, we read through them, and if you're like me, you read through it, and sometimes you, you just miss, like, you know, I've 20 years been walking with God, and I still miss, like, something really cool. I want to show you something really cool. Uh, John chapter 4, if you have your Bible on your phone or in your lap, <clears throat> I want to take us to the story of the royal official or the nobleman who had a sick son. And many of you know this story, and we're just going to read through it and then come back and unpack it just a little bit. John chapter 4, verse 46. He came therefore again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus says to him, go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to them, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, just speak to us. We open our hearts and minds to you. Ground us in your word. Ground us in your son. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give us a little bit of context. Now, uh, Capernaum, this place where the royal official lived, was just on the north tip of the Sea of Galilee. And, the, uh, and so maybe I could get Bronwyn, Please, come here. If I could have you maybe stand over here. Okay? And so she is uh, in Capernaum, and I need another volunteer. Would you mind? I don't see this. Your name tag? Amber. 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 Nice to meet you, Bruce. Nice to meet you. Okay. Follow me. And we're going to put Amber over here. This is to keep you all awake, okay? 
and alert. Okay, so you are Sea of Galilee, and, and now Jesus is over here. No, actually, in the sea. Are you going to behave? Okay. Okay. Now, yes. Jesus, uh, now, this is the same place where he turned water to wine. You remember that? The first miracle of Jesus. And so Jesus has been gaining in popularity. If you can imagine that there's some miracle working prophet slash teacher slash maybe Messiah working around, walking with his disciples, and his notoriety is increasing. And so that's, that's what's happening over here. And so there's activity, and they don't have email. There's no Google. I don't know how these things travel, but no Facebook. But over here in Capernaum, this is, this is a 20-mile 20, 20 distance, okay? And, and the, where she is is actually up. So this is um, in Capernaum. It's a fishing village, and it's at sea level. And then we have actually a mountainous. takes about six to eight hours to walk if you're healthy and in good shape. Okay, so this is not just a uh, hop, scotch, two-minute walk to find Jesus. The royal official is here. And his son, the scripture says, is, says that he has high fever to the point of death. Okay, how many parents are here? So, listen, I remember the first time Broderick got a fever, my firstborn, and you just feel so helpless, right? Like the first child, the first of everything is kind of rough <laughs> as a new parent, but just the helpless feeling, being in a place where it's like, God, I don't know what to do. Should I go to the hospital? Should I give drugs? Should I pray? I do all three. Um, and, and yet, this is, this is even more serious. This royal official would have been very wealthy. He had servants. He had medical options, okay? So, this guy is, has been slowly brought to a place where his own son is close to death. And how many of you have been in that position where it's been, you've reached, you've reached out and there are no more options? You're in a place where you've done all you can do in the flesh, all you can do naturally, and now it's, it's, a, it's a real helpless feeling, isn't it? And it doesn't matter your social status, it doesn't matter... You know, death makes us all equal. And so the very real realization that this boy, his own, we don't know if it was his only son, but his son was at the brink of death. I, as I read this passage, I immediately, God like brought me to this place when a few years ago, Noah, who was six years old, four, four years old, uh, my wife had gone to Kiev because we, didn't re we don't really have a grocery store at that time. We have a little one now. So she would need to make a once-a-week trip at least to go get basic products, about a 45-minute drive um, through windy, terrible roads. And so it was my birthday. And so she decided, for your birthday, I'm taking all the kids to go get groceries, and you can just stay home. Woo-hoo! It was a gift. Uh, until I got a phone call from my wife, who is the most even keel, 
you know, you, you can take her blood pressure and it's like negative. It's like, are you, are you alive? So she, it takes a lot to get her rattled. And I could tell in her voice, this is, this is serious. And what happened is she had pulled out, another missionary had borrowed our van and gotten an accident with it. And the back door that opens like this was not shutting properly. And so you starting to see where the story goes. My wife had pulled out onto a highway, two-lane, you know, highway, four, but two going the one way. She pulls out, and my son gets out of his seat, goes to the back, and just kind of sits in this middle aisle where this bus uh, door just opens, and he fell out onto the oncoming traffic, fractured his skull, and uh, we didn't know how serious it was. We just know the kids, and they jumped out, and there were cars actually coming. And so they rescued him and then took off. I get the phone call as they're uh, now headed towards Kiev to the emergency room. And so now I've got an hour drive in the whole way there. You know, that is a, that is a drive where you're praying hard when you, you don't know what's going to happen. And so we show up and we, we go through one of the most difficult situations in our life. He's, he's alive. He, we think it did affect him. He's got, he, not in a, I um, shouldn't joke about that, but he, he uh, <laughs> he's our most creative. But this time when we're in the hospital and they, my, I'm looking at my little boy and he's tiny as it is and he's scared and he's half conscious and they've got him wrapped up and he's going into those machines and he's not allowed to move and he's terrified and we're in a hospital that's nothing like the U.S. Nobody's speaking English. We're fresh off the boat. Okay, and so we, we don't know what's going on. They're whisking him away. It's a filthy hospital. There's people all over sick. It is just a nightmare. And I knew there was not seeing my son go off, and they said, it's serious. We need to take him to another hospital. He may need surgery. He may have an infection. They definitely fractured his skull. Um, and, and so as a dad, you reach that place where you're just desperate, Right? You're desperate. And, and God brought me back to that story as I'm reading this. And what, what it was like for this father, this father, yes, <laughs> to have to, number one, leave his son, maybe the last time that he would see him, okay? He's not just going to the next door neighbors or going to hop in his car and go to the hospital. He has to go, thank you for waiting there. You're doing a great job behaving yourself. <laughs> and so this father, you know, would have to leave perhaps for the last time, his son near death, high fever, goodbye. I know there's a chance, there's, there's a small chance I could get to this man Jesus. I could make my request known and perhaps he could come. It's my last choice. It's my last opportunity. It's my last hope. And so he begins the journey, six to eight hours, and he gets there, and somehow, somehow he finds, and he's able to work his way all the way to Jesus. And I picture in my, I'm a visual guy, and so I think this would be kind of a cool, I don't know if this has been done in a movie, but where you have Jesus, 
and you have the crowds, you've got mixed Jews that are following, you've got Gentiles that are, that are following, and you've got this, this, this faith all over the map, right? Everybody's listening and hearing, but also just really interested. Maybe they'll catch a miracle. Maybe they'll see something. And here comes this man, and Jesus, it looks like he rebukes the father, but he actually says you in plural in the Greek. He's saying you all, you all have to see something. That's disappointing because everything that Jesus was doing was to point to something so much greater than that miracle, was to point to something so much more exciting that God had come in Christ. And so as he speaks to the Father and the Father comes and he says, please, Jesus, my, my son, he's near death. Would you come? And I picture myself in that position as Jesus, his answer is what? Yeah, louder. No. Well, he says, Go your way, your son is well. And I want to talk, thank you, give these, these ladies a hand. Thanks. I want to talk to you for just a moment about this, I, I call it the space between. It's this moment when we hear, we hear from God and he challenges our faith and we have to make a decision. How many of you have stepped out, every one of us, have stepped out in faith? Maybe it, it was, will you, you know, was it going and applying for a new job or staying in a marriage that maybe was just didn't look like it had any hope or, or relationships within the family or struggles at church? There's all kinds of things that we are believing God for, that he speaks to us. And in this, in this moment is where our faith is really tested. And I want to talk to you about that moment because this is my life. This is not just a topic. This is where we live every day with you on our journey. It's this quality of faith that this man, this man had. If I was this man... I probably would have argued with Jesus. Go home. Go home. Your son is well. I would have been like, okay, let me get right back with you. Maybe grabbed a coffee and came back a second time. My, my son is really sick, and I know you're really busy, but I need you to come. You're my only hope. Please, I love my son. But this man hears the word of Jesus and begins to walk back six to eight hours back. And what would you be thinking about on the way back? How many times would you stop and go, should I turn around and try again to bring Jesus, the source of hope? You're actually walking away from the one you think is your only hope. Yet he listens, and I think that first step was so pleasing to God. Why? Why? 
he's, 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 his faith is becoming something even more real. As he heads back, Jesus could have went with him. Jesus could have went with him. He touched many people, healed many people. But he wanted to do something greater in this man's life. He wanted to show him something even more incredible, that he is not only a miracle-working God, but that he is God. You see the difference between trusting or seeing a miracle and believing in the miracle worker? That he can, Jesus, can actually reach through time and space 20 miles away. He knows he's sick. He knows his situation. And he heals him in this very moment. This very moment, the son gets out of bed and says, I, I'm hungry. The son, enough obvious of a, of a difference that this, the servants in the house recognize something amazing has happened and they begin their six to eight journey to find the father. This was no accident. This God, Jesus, Jesus, the incarnate God, the son of God, reaching through, he's not limited He's not limited in your situation. We, we so want to see him work in these particular ways in our life. And sometimes we get so discouraged when it's taking forever or it doesn't happen our way. And God's like, look, I could reach into your life and go kaboom and do this incredible thing that you think you want but God would rather do something deeper. He would rather reveal himself to you. Because then, guys, we can go through any trial. We can, we can hold out and trust and wait. George Mueller, he said, you know, the, let me get you the quote so I don't mess it up. He said, the only way to learn strong faith is, is to endure great trials. I want us just for a moment to think about something, and this is revolutionized. It's the one thing I could share every week, and I do with the kids, I do with the youth, because it's gripped me. And that is, just a thought that Jesus always gives his gifts in that way in which his glory is best promoted and our eternal interest is secured. Guys, faith is not just simply believing in general. It's not abstract. How many watch Star Wars? There's a few of you that don't? Okay. In Ukraine, we have terrible internet, it's getting better, but we, uh, we just got 3G, okay? And it's actually, it's actually 2G. They've labeled it. But uh, we're thrilled with it, we're excited. But our family is used to, over the years, if we wanna watch a movie, there's a lot of buffering that takes place, okay? There's a lot of downloading, and, and sometimes our family, as, uh, even 
for many years, we'd sit and we'd watch it maybe loading, loading. How many, how many here have waited for stuff to load? Even in America? Wow, that's amazing. And so I would tell the kids, guys, let's use the force. And so the kids would hold up a hand. You know, the little, little guys would get out hand, and, and we all need to do it together because it doesn't work unless you all are, like, trying to get the Internet to work, force. And then if, we, if it's really not going well, we do the double force. <laughs> and uh, every once in a while, it works, and it's really cool, and we all cheer. Um, but, but listen, faith, we, it, faith isn't just a force. Faith is rooted, and it's grounded in a person. And I, I love, I love, I want to give you just three verses that just, three areas in the, in the word that have really just grounded me. Number one is just John 1, 1. We understand that in the beginning was the word. It's the logos of God. The beginning was the word and word was God. And it says the word was with God. So even at creation and before creation, the logos of God, which we know in the 15th verse says the word became flesh. The logos of God, that, that is the revelation, the communicative intelligence of God. When God wants to reveal what he's like, Jesus. When God wants to thematically display, he sends his son. 4K, living color. Hebrews 1.1 was read this morning. It's my favorite verse in the Bible. I was so excited. In the past, God has spoken to us in many portions, in many ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. Listen, it's not, we don't hold all these things equal where we have, well, we see in the law and through the prophets and through, ultimately, God had a plan. From the beginning of time, Christ crucified. He was going to come and set the record straight. I get so upset when I see people rejecting a God that doesn't even exist. The God in their mind, the God that they have fabricated through their culture or through whatever experiences they've had is not the God of reality. God came, put on flesh, and this was his communication. This is who I'm like. Prostitute comes. It wasn't get away, I am holy. Come to me, all who are weary. This is God. Anytime I'm challenged in my faith, I go to Jesus because he communicates what God is like. When we go to Belarus and teach in the Bible school, I, I, I love to go through the Gospel of John because everything John writes, every miracle, every story like the one we just read, he says in the 20th chapter, verse 31, I've written all of these things, okay? I've put all of this together as my thesis <laughs> so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing this, you would have life in his name. I, I gave you the story of the man who had a sick son or when the time he walked on water 
when he healed the sick, he raised the dead. All of this so that in believing God was in Christ. I write on the board with the students, what does God look like? What does he look like? And I ask them to come up and draw a thought, a picture. What comes to mind? You know, we get love and we get some adjectives, descriptive. It's a picture of an old, you know, Santa Claus with a beard. Uh, we usually, you know, you get the typical things. But ultimately, his plan was to come and show us what he's like. God in Christ. Guys, if our faith isn't rooted in this, which is the gospel, then we're going to have a real difficult time trusting him for all the other things. For our future, some of you college students, for our marriage that's struggling, or our children that aren't serving God, or whatever challenges and situations you have, you're going to be disappointed if your faith is just simply a, 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 an abstract believing that something's going to happen. The prime root of faith this morning that we all share, that we all celebrate, is that God came. And this revolutionizes the heart because if God really did come, and not only did he come, the epiphany of his life was the cross, which is back there, which is great. The central, the centrality of his life, it, you have his life demonstrating, and that the center of his life is God suffering. You want to know what God's like? He suffers. He sacrifices, and he lays down his life. If you come to me or anyone with an argument over what God's nature is like, I have the trump card. Jesus. Because Christianity, there is no other. Colossians says that he's the exact representation of his nature. Christ, come, he's the icon of God. We don't have to question. We don't have to fear. The only thing he asks from us is our faith to believe this incredible love. That's it. It's not plus, plus, plus. He's the beginning and the end. Christ incarnate. And so our hope to Russia-speaking, Russian-speaking world, to Ukraine, to Belarus, is that this Father heart of God in Christ would get out because that's the gospel. That's what the aching heart is longing for. And I'm going to finish here. Do you believe the gospel? George MacDonald said, any faith in him, however small, is better than any belief about him, however great. Oswald Chambers said, faith never knows where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. Isn't that good? And so we're trusting God to plant more cafes, to to launch. We actually have the guys in studio producing worship, an album that is so incredible, and we're doing it by faith because we know this next generation needs to be fed. They need spiritual nourishment, and so we're producing it in faith. And some things may work and some things may not, but God is good, and God loves me, and he loves you, and he's proven it 
once for all. Don't you dare question the love of God. Why is it impossible to please him without faith? You ever think about that? Scripture says it's impossible to please God without faith. I think it's when we, it's not just faith in general, it's faith that God has come in Christ. When we deny that, that God is love and he's compassionate and he's not into religion, he's into intense relationship and a love affair, he wants to fill you and move you, when we deny that, we're making God a liar. We're believing falsehood. And so this morning, the, the prime root of this church becoming an even greater missional force in our communities, even greater global impact, it's not to have this great mission statement, it's not to have more projects, if we don't have this first, then God, God cannot breathe in and breathe out of this place. And so we have been praying. You're an answer to prayer for us. And, and Deb and I, we've been praying like, God, connect us to your kingdom. We are very much isolated over in Ukraine and now more in Belarus. And so we have been praying, God, connect us. Connect us to your kingdom so that we can resource through prayer. We need you to be believing, faith-filled prayer warriors for us and your other missionaries that are, are in this body that you're supporting. Let this be a beacon locally, globally, where you guys are fueling the kingdom work. I entreat you we to pray for Lighthouse, to pray for Mir, to pray for the Bible school, uh, and to pray for the worship that we believe God wants to unleash to the Russian-speaking world. It may be thousands of miles away from Lake Sam, from Bellevue, wherever else you live, but we're one family. Amen? We have a, a joyful duty to bring Jesus to the nations. And, uh, and so thank you so much for allowing our family to come. I'm going to ask Pastor Kurt to come and ask you not to leave because we just have a short little video as well and an announcement.